Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. A few months ago, a group of our members were in a meeting and they began to talk and then that what they talked about got communicated to the staff and one of the things that was really on their heart and it was on our heart as well is that we would have a parenting conference and so we had one name that we all agreed on and it was Gary Mays that's right Gary is a, is a friend to East Haven he has been for some time now so Will you please give a warm welcome to Gary Mays? It has been a pleasure to serve East Haven. Uh, I had all of those events that Dustin referenced, and I was with your students on your student ministry uh, retreat a year ago, and it's just uh, great to be here this morning. I said, uh, as we were talking about this event, at East Haven, I feel like the crazy uncle who shows up once in a while, just a little bit, and honored to be at East Haven today. I just, I love this place and uh, delighted to see you. And if you're online, thank you for allowing me and this time to come into your life and wherever you are, and I hope it's encouraging to you as well. We're talking about parenting, so let's do the quick survey. Now, just to keep it real, everybody's had a parent in some form or fashion at some point, so I got that. How many of you are currently parents with children at home. Let me see your hands, loud and proud right there. There you go. How many of you have preschoolers at home? Hands, hands. That's a party, isn't it? How many of you have elementary at home? Excellent, good. How many of you have middle school? Or terrorist, as some people say. (laughs) I don't think so. I love middle school students. My wife has taught middle school for 24 years. How many of you, again, middle school students? All righty. How many of you have high school students? Like young men, young women? Excellent. How many of you have a combination? You're spread out over multiple schools and seasons. All righty. Well, here are a couple of things I want you to know right from the onset. Number one, I'm not a marriage or family therapist. So I'm not an expert in that regards, but I'm a pastor, and I've pastored and been in ministry uh, over 40 years, and I'm a little nerdish about this because for years and years and years, I spend time researching family systems and the way people operate, and, and I have a heart to equip and support, cheer the families on that I've had the opportunity to speak to. That's my heart. So I don't claim any expertise, which is great. That's a great disclaimer, so you can't sue me which is fantastic. So if I give you bad advice, do not email me, okay? Don't, I'm just telling you. Having said that, I've got a lot of confidence that what I'm bringing you today is grounded in the truth of God's word and in great uh, wise practice of those who love the Lord and have specific skill sets and expertise. I think that's awesome. Now, I've got two children myself, and uh, Kathy and I have a son named Josh, Josh is having their first child tomorrow morning in Memphis at 7.30 after 10 years of infertility struggles. And we are thrilled. So we're getting in our car this evening and driving to Memphis. We'll be there 
COVID being what it is, we may not even be able to be in the hospital, but we're going to be in the proximity. We're excited about that. Josh and Stacy have been married for about 11 years. They're fantastic. He's a worship leader. My daughter, Carly, is the development director, that's fundraising, at Sunnybrook Children's Home. She's married to Daniel Wagner. Daniel is the college and young adult pastor at Fondren Church. I'm telling you this to say to you that I feel really blessed by the grace of God that I've got children who haven't had a crisis of faith, who are involved in ministry, who are walking with the Lord and have acquired some wisdom. They've got a lot of character. We're very, very grateful. And there are two sides to that. There is the obvious uh, affirmation that God has done what he's done in creating character in them and holding them close and them uh, being observant of following Christ. So I'm excited about that and grateful for it and see it as the grace of God. So I don't take credit for that. Having said that, it is a little disingenuous. It's not really truthful for me to suggest to you that how you parent doesn't matter because it does. So it's both and. It is clearly, and this is a metaphor for our life, it's clearly the grace of God and the expression of God, for instance, in our children's life. And it's also our responsibility to be obedient to the mandates of Scripture. Now, you can parent really well, love and pray for your kids, and they can go to the far country. Things can happen. Why? Because every one of us, no matter what age or stage you're in, from the front to the back, have volition. You have will, and your children have will. And you know that if you have children. I mean, they arrived as little people, did they not? And they let you know early on what they wanted and when they wanted it. And all of us, fundamentally the same. Selfish, lost, apart from Christ. So the, the kind of the ground rules are this. We look to God to do what only he can do. But we want to be sure to think about the way that God has built strategies for parenting and for living our life with our children. We want to look at those strategies and we want to apply those to our life. I don't want to say the word betting, but my bet would be, if I were a betting man, that the outcome is going to be better aligned with God's purposes and obedience than without. That's not that God can't save radically running, lost, sinful, shake their fist in the face of God kids, but he has designed a way for us to live so that our kids can have the kingdom principles inculcated, that means put into them from the time they're growing up. I know that God's word just elevates truth to us because it's his word and it is true. If you have a Bible, would you join me in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to begin in the fourth verse and move to the ninth verse. These verses are called the Shema. And I have memory of perhaps referencing this before here in one arena or another. But I want you to hear what this is. This is God's plan for his people in how to communicate the faith from one generation to the next. Now, one time when I preached here, I remember specifically saying that still elevating Scripture and in no way trying to distill that to something simple, the Old Testament at, at its core is this. God says to his children, I'll be your God, you be my people. 
And then he continues to reveal himself and demonstrate himself and show himself strong and manifest his character and attributes. And he gives to his people the Ten Commandments. Now, God has just given to his people the Ten Commandments. And then he gives these instructions about how to communicate the faith from generation to generation. Now, I'm going to do a quick aside for a second. Normally, I would walk, but that's going to take me way too much time. Here's the quick aside, and some of you will remember this. The commandments are precepts, and the precepts reflect principles, and those principles reflect the character of God. So for every commandment, it reflects the character of God. I often use do not kill. So do not kill is the precept or the commandment. The principle is God values life. And the character issue of the person is because he is life. You get that? Don't lie. Don't lie is the precept. The, the principle is God loves the truth. Why? Because he is the truth. So God has given the Ten Commandments just prior to this in the book of Deuteronomy in this expression of his providing for his people. And then he gives these instructions, the Shema, which actually is probably the most repeated passage of Scripture in history. We think it might be John 3.16 or the Beatitudes or the 23rd Psalm, probably the Shema, because Jews from this time forward to this day will repeat this passage often. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your heart. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If we were to just take apart this Shema, this, this truth from God communicated to his people about how to transfer the faith from generation to generation. Here is a very simple pass over the top of it, but important view of this truth. Number one, the Lord, he is God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So the Lord is saying to his people a number of things there. In a world of, of uh, polytheistic view where every natural and unnatural thing was given some sort of false deity, the Lord God says, the Lord your God, he is one. It is one God that you serve. He is God and God alone. It's also the establishment for the foundation of our life that there is a God and we're to serve him and to love him and to know him. The passage continues and tells us we're to love him completely. I stumbled over it a minute ago and kind of rewrote hard at the end of the phrase. But it's loving with all of our heart and our soul and our strength. Everything we have, we are required to love him with. Jesus would tell us, you love me because I loved you what? First. It is a response to the love and the provision and the grace of God. We're to love him with everything that we have. Now, the context of this command 
is as God is telling how to communicate this truth about who he is from generation to generation. So you love him completely. You take his truth to heart. And I love this. He says, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Your heart to the Jew, your heart scripturally, Old Testament context, is the essence of who you are. It's the core of who you are. It's, ladies and gentlemen, you've experienced a loss or some sort of difficult relational pain or you've struggled in some area in your life, you feel it in your heart. It's not necessarily the organ that pumps blood, but it's the core of who you are. It's in your chest. It is the reality of who you are. And God says that this is to be these truths and our love for him are to be upon our heart. We are to impress these things, these commandments, upon our children. Now, this is where we stop for just a moment. We are to impress these things upon our children. I realized, and I've read the Shema for 45, 50 years, and I've talked to parents and churches and, and students often using this passage as a foundational passage for my communicating in those moments. And I had this moment in preparation for today where I turned the phrase around. I think maybe the Lord gave it to me. Here's how you know that you're impressing the truth of God's word on your children. When they are impressed by you. That's literally what this is. You know you're impressing when they are impressed now impressed sounds like something that revolves around ego or fame or uh, some sort of attribute or some sort of achievement but to actually be impressed there's almost the picture of a stamp or in our nomenclature printing are our children parents are our children parents impressed with the way that we love God with our whole life and our whole heart, is our life revolving around the reality of God? Are we practicing his presence? Are we recognizing his word? Are we having those teachable moments? Are our children literally impressed by our walk? That's the question. Impress them on your children and then speak the truth everywhere. Speak the truth everywhere. You're going out, coming in, you're lying down, you're getting up. When you walk along the road, everywhere that we are in proximity to our children, we are commanded to speak the truth. Now, there's an old adage that is, uh, love the world, share Jesus, uh, love people, share the gospel, if necessary, use words. It's kind of a it, it's been quoted a number of different ways, but it, it's theoretically a takeoff and a quote from Augustine that we're to share the gospel if necessary, use words. It's about loving people, loving the body of Christ, loving those who need to know Christ. That is a ridiculous thing at its core. It's not about loving, but it's about if necessary, use words. 
moms and dads, words are necessary. Somebody has said that quote is like, feed the hungry, if necessary, use food. We've got to use words. And we're commanded to speak, and I call these teachable moments throughout every venue of our life. So let me be just exceedingly practical for you. Depending on the age of your child, where you are providing and protecting them and you're, you're moving them about maybe as a baby or a toddler or a preschool or an elementary school student, you have a captive audience. And most of us don't like to be held captive when somebody's preaching at us. Uh, matter of fact, there's an entire world that doesn't want to be in your seat today because they don't want anybody preaching at them. So it's not about preaching, it's about recognizing God's presence in the moment and speaking to the truth of God's word. Well, that presents a challenge, which is we've got to know God's word to be able to present it. We've got to understand principles of the kingdom so we can communicate them and impress them upon our children. If we don't understand them, we don't communicate them. Everybody with me? Nod your head so I know you're there. If you don't know them, you're not going to communicate them. Matter of fact, I love this quote. Uh, you can't give away what you don't possess. You can't give away what you don't possess. So when you parent, if your goal as a believer in Christ is to help your child grow up in, to be an appropriately self-reliant, in the best sense of the term, responsible believer in Jesus who follows him and lives for kingdom principles and practices, if you don't have that yourself, it's incredibly difficult to give that away. It just, that doesn't happen. So what do we do? Sometimes we, we relegate or contract the job out and we relegate our responsibility or delegate it to others. I love this quote as well. We teach what we know but we reproduce who we are. Let me say that again. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. So what I don't want you to hear today is shame or blame or guilt or some sort of extraordinary bar in your parenting that says, man, unless you're preaching and sharing God's word from memory and you've got a home devotion that lasts an hour and your fourth grader hasn't surrendered to missions yet, there's something wrong with you. That is not what I am saying. What I'm saying is you can't give away what you don't possess and you'll teach what you know, which is great because we ought to teach, but as parents, you'll reproduce who you are. Let me give you a simple example. You've all seen it. How many of you mom and dads, uh, and I saw some with really young children evidently in here today, but how many of you remember the moment where something came out of your mouth and you realized you had turned into your parents. Can I see those hands? Oh my, hey young man, do you think money grows on trees? Were you born in a barn? Shut the door. What do I look like? Your mother? I'm not your mother. I'll give you something to whine about. Are you unhappy? You say you don't feel like it? I can change the way you feel. I mean, we start saying stuff and the next thing you know, we realize, oh my goodness, I've turned into my dad. You know why you do that? Because the primary role of modeling for us is the parental units that God gives us to model what it means to do life and live life. And what do parents teach children? Listen to this, men and women. We teach children who and what to love. 
who and what to love. I live in Madison. We love some stuff in Madison. Do you love some stuff in Brookhaven? We love some stuff in Madison. And you probably do in Brookhaven as well. I don't know how many yards have an Ole Miss sign in them. Or a Mississippi State sign. Or a Southern sign. Or a Jaguar sign. or a, I mean, it goes on and on and on. We love what we love. We love bass fishing and deer hunting and good barbecue and great yards. We love our outdoor kitchen. We love our neighbors. We love our social club. We love our church. We love our schools. We love our kids. Matter of fact, we love our kids. Watch this. Don't hold me to it. Don't misquote me. We probably love our kids in the sense of love just a little bit too much. Because we come from a generation that is provided and protected instead of prepared to propel kids to present the gospel to the world. Can I do that story for you for just a moment? Uh, how many of you were born baby boomers or older? Can I see your hands? I just want to see you admit it. I mean, I can see you. I've said, I've said this here. You know this is not TV, right? I can see you. So I know about how, how old you probably are from here. I'm right smack dab in the middle of the baby boomers. And let me tell you what has happened in our country, and I'll do it in two minutes. We've loved our kids a little too much in the wrong ways. Now, you can't literally love too much, but in the wrong ways, and here's why. Three generations ago in this country, the majority of people lived in rural environments. Did you know that? They didn't travel far from home. There was typically extended family in the house. So when grandma, granddad, or the aunt and uncle needed some place to go, there weren't nursing homes for the most part, they came to the house. Families had many children typically. There were both chemical and biological reasons for that in those days, but it was true. Children at the age of five or six had meaningful chores. At 10 or 11 or 12, they had typically adult chores. At 15, 16, 17, 18, they were preparing for adulthood and possibly marriage three generations ago, pre-World War II. Children uh, learned things they made decisions. They had responsibilities. And if they didn't carry out their responsibilities, there were consequences. If you lived on a farm and you didn't go get the eggs, guess what you didn't have for breakfast? Eggs. It was just a real simple frontal lobe of the brain development laboratory. We got to get eggs or we're not eating eggs. Had to milk the cow or bad things happened. That's just part of what you did. You had to weed the garden. You had to go collect vegetables. You had to you had to shell peas. You had to do what you had to do to make life work. For that reason and some others, education, it was more likely not necessarily literally three generations ago a one-room schoolhouse, but it was localized, dominant values of the culture. We didn't travel very much. A family might have a car, maybe. Uh, three generations, four generations ago, and I'm talking 30-year generations, radio, no TV, certainly not 500 channels of direct, and nobody had internet or a cell phone. With me? Are we going back? It was a more simple time, obviously, and there was some learning that took place. Children were considered, and parents, this is huge, children were considered assets to the family. World War II came, America's fathers, sons, brothers, fiancés, they left and fought the war all over the world. They came back. Some things happened. Uh, women had gone to work in unprecedented numbers. Some areas of the country went from sub, uh, 
rural to urban and then suburban. Uh, two things in particular the government did really ushered in a new age, VA loans and uh, the opportunity to go to college on the GI Bill. Uh, education and opportunities changed. The demographic in this country changed. And people who had lived on a farmhouse with extended family and eight kids found themselves just a couple of generations later living in homes on small lots side by side other homes. Are you with me? Going to a job. Now, if somebody walks down the hall at East Haven and they say, hey, we're, about, we're, we're pregnant again. We're so excited. Well, how many is that? Seven. They're likely here in the hall Oh my gosh, do you not know what causes that? Do you know how expensive that's going to be? What are you going to do for rooms? Are you going to get bunk beds? Are you going to put an extension on your house? Do you know how much your car insurance is going to be? What are you going to do for college? That's how we think now. Children in our culture are liabilities. Children pre-World War II, just two or three generations ago, were seen as assets. And we've, we have sort of changed the post-World War II view or the pre-World War II view that children were co-laborers with us at home and learning responsibility and, and building adult thinking, we turned that into delayed childhood, the advent of adolescence, and now social scientists say adolescence extends to 27, 28, 29, 30 years old when your son or daughter comes home to live. Now that may not be happening in your life, it may not be happening as often in Brookhaven, but I'm going to tell you, nationwide, that's a very, very real dynamic. God has a plan for us, and it is to communicate the truth of the gospel in every venue to our sons and daughters. It is to provide for them to be sure, to protect them for sure, but it is to prepare them. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, helicopter parents? Can I see those hands? How many of you know the phrase, lawnmower parents? Can I see those hands? A lawnmower parent uh, goes in front of their child with a big old lawnmower because they are preparing the path for their child, not their child, for the path. And that's where we have moved to beyond helicopter where we swoop in and rescue and provide. We're now at the point we'll do anything so that our child we think will be successful or not hurt. Why? Because we love in some ways that are not healthy. They're not developmental. Uh, social scientists, neuro neuroscientists would tell us we're not helping brains develop. On top of that, let me say it very quickly, technology, just can I get an uh-huh? Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, technology, we're going to talk about that at five o'clock just a little bit. Uh, building trust and faith and respect in homes, that can still be done, but it, sometimes it struggles in our current culture, even for strong believer families. I don't have all the answers, no silver bullets, but I've got some thoughts that might encourage you. I want to cheer you on in those regards. And then I want to talk about building a home that thinks about eternity, a home of respect and love. Uh, more than anything, today I want to cheer you on as parents, whatever season you're in, that you would take the words of God that we would love God with all that we have, that we would impress these commandments or these truths upon our children, and we would do that in every venue of our life, going out, coming in, lying down, getting up, along the road, in the car, on the way to Walmart, in the aisles, we would be communicating the truth of the kingdom of God. Now, 
on a Sunday morning of a parent conference, uh, I know that because God's word reigns supreme, that God's word is to be elevated in this moment. I always, always start with Deuteronomy 6 because God has a plan for moving the faith from one generation to another. But today, some of you are thinking uh, perhaps something like, uh, I understand that, but I don't know what to do about the cell phone thing. I don't understand apps, and, I don't un- and we're not going to deal with all of that. We're going to deal with it in principle and some practical helps. Or you're wondering, some of you are thinking, if I could just get my child to go to bed, I'd be happy. Because those, are, those things are real. If I could just get him or her to say, yes, sir, or no, sir, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, how do we do that? Well, again, I don't have a silver bullet that's going to magically fix anybody because we're volitional creatures, but we're going to talk about some of those things at 5 o'clock today. And it's going to be immensely practical. I've got resources for you and resource recommendations that you need to hear. This afternoon at 3, oh my goodness, if you've looked at the breakout sessions, look at these titles. More Than a Prayer, Leading Your Child to Christ. Love it. Warrior to warrior, help your child with anxiety. Recently, uh, the, uh, the Christian Counseling Association of America had a speaker who said, it was Dr. Tim Elmore, who said research shows that uh, 30 years ago, if children then had the level of anxiety they have now, we would consider them mentally ill. And they are an expression of us, moms and dads. We live in a fast-paced world. We are overwhelmed with input and media and demands and trolls and exposure of our life and false uh, markers that we should reach or can't reach. It's complicated. There are lots of anxiety. A field guide to the American teenager led by my friend Craig Todd. Uh, that, that would be fascinating. Craig's got some handles here. going to be awesome. Doing life with your adult child. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a season where you don't have adult children yet as parents, I want to tell you there's nothing more satisfying than having an adult child who can be your friend, who you can be a consultant to, but you're not actively parenting as you do in other seasons. That's a great one. Grandparenting, second chair leadership. Dr. Bill Miller, where are you? Are you in here? Not here this morning. This is going to be awesome. There's a great way to communicate the gospel as grandparents and reinforce the most important things. Biblical worldviews, equipping your child to face a culture in crisis led by your pastor. He is excellent at this, and this is so true. You realize we are right, some would say already, but even in Brookhaven, Mississippi or Madison, Mississippi, we're on the cusp of being post-Christian. Do you know this? Our culture has left the building and we are the minority voices for the truth of the gospel. And if you're not aware of that or you think you're insulated from that because you're down here in this county, you're confused because you are global citizens and your children are global citizens and the impact and the voices in your children's lives are from people that you have no relationship with. And much like Europe, And Canada, for sure, we are post-Christian in our thinking. Look at the last four, five, six years. 
Finally, I'll be doing a session of breakout, recognizing and celebrating marker moments in your child's life. Your children will go through moments from birth all the way through graduation. It's about 7,000 days that you have as a parent. And I'm going to talk about some of those marker moments and how to celebrate them and sort of redeem those moments for the sake of the gospel. It's going to be a great time. Five o'clock, trust, responsibility, technology, and discipline. Uh, We're going to do all of that in about an hour. I'm going to be very practical. I'm going to move quickly. I'll make it as entertaining as I can without doing the Ten Commandments. Not doing that tonight. Five o'clock, help for parents. I want you to be here. We're going to extend an invitation, and it's my privilege to do that. Dustin will be at the front. I always say this because I, I think sometimes we roll on And I know what a great communicator Dustin is and how uh, precise East Haven is and what you do. But here's why we do an invitation. We do an invitation because it gives the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the opportunity to encourage, to pray for, and to celebrate together decisions. Those things that God is leading any of us, perhaps you individually or as a family, to do. And that may mean giving your life to Christ. If you've never done that, that's the starting point, parents. But it's the starting point for all of us, young person, elementary school student, middle school student, high school student. It's about trusting and receiving Christ. And this is a chance to share with your pastor, to be prayed for, to be encouraged by these people who walk with Jesus. Or it may be that God is leading you to join this part of the body of Christ, to be plugged in and to be able to be counted on, to serve and to be served, to move your membership to East Haven. We're going to sing together. Come on, Robert. Uh, Dustin, you're at the front. Let's stand, enter into this time of invitation. You respond as God leads you through this time of worship. I I just consider that a privilege. Uh, Let's pray, please. Father, I just want to thank you uh, that you've got a plan for how we live our lives, that you love us and you call us by name and you sing over us and rejoice in us. And Father, I'm grateful that in this uh, invitation time that men and women can respond to you, that boys and girls can respond to you. We've prayed your spirit would be at work. Uh, God, for decisions public, for decisions private, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.